Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. We are the boys in white and blue, and we are back for another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful and very, very wet British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Meisner. Busy show in store. It's been a dramatic weekend, not just Whitecaps-wise. One of the games I was commentating on on Saturday night up at UBC. Three-goal comeback in the last seven minutes in that one, so that was exciting. So we're not going to talk too much about the Whitecaps game. We're going to delve into that UBC-U-NBC one. No, we're going to talk Whitecaps-Dallas. We're going to be talking about the revamped Leagues Cup. We're going to be talking about the... The deal that the Canadian Premier League stroke one soccer has struck with TELUS. We're going to be hearing some audio from Axel Schuster about the search for a new head coach. This new revamp Leagues Cup. A little bit of chat about development in the under-19s. And a lot more besides. So it's going to be a packed show as always. But we've always got time to fit in the gift that keeps on giving. Well, at least for uh, another nine weeks because then it's going to run out. It's Steve Pander's box of tricks, his 2011 upper deck MLS trading card pack that he gave Zach and myself for Christmas. We've been opening pretty much a pack a week when Zach and me are on it at the weekend shows. So not got much more to do. Let's see who we've got in this week's pack. We've both had some sneak peeks. I think I might have at least one double. It might just be that you've got him, but I think we both have him. But let's see how we get on. And I'm going to start off with a guy that I think might be my double. It's Jack McInerney. Oh, I got him for sure. Yeah, and I think I do as well. I think he's in my reserve for my first for my first team. Um, I uh, Kirk Kirk is calling this the Jesus loves you pack, and you'll understand why in a bit. Um, it, it starts off with a double for me, and I believe a double for you, unfortunately, because if you didn't have him, I would love to trade him with you. A special dude in our household because. My daughter was born the only day he scored for the for the Whitecaps. Shea Salinas. Shea, Shea Salinas. Yay, Shea you have, now. You have it, right? I do. So we had Jack McInerney from Philly. We've got another Philly guy now. He's a forward. Danny Mwanga. Oh, I got him for sure. Um, from the Chicago Fire, my first Chicago Fire player in this pack is uh, forward Neri Castillo. 
So I've got a card here from Sky Blue FC, something which we've not seen a lot of in Vancouver this weekend. It's Eniola Aluko. Oh, I got that one. That's a good one. She's English, uh, I believe. I think she's doing a lot of TV work. Enola, yeah. Uh, this is my second double of the pack. Uh, he, I first got to know him as a Colorado Rapid. This is his Toronto FC card. It's midfielder Nick Labroca. Oh, I'm going to do two at the moment because they're both from Real Salt Lake. And two, well, one absolute legend for MLS and another one that had a very big impact. First of all, defender Nat Borchers. Oh, got him. He's in, he's in my either my starting 11 or my uh I on your bench He's, and ha- javier morales i replaced i replaced nat borchers with rafael marquez oh javier morales is in my starting 11 so ah. my next two cards well my next one is probably my best card in the pack it's his mls super draft pick he currently plays for nashville he's from ghana it's cj sapong oh super draft and then my other chicago fire player Everyone loves everyone loves their papa. It's Marco Papa. Oh, I have him. Well, my last card, number 173 in the deck, but number one in our hearts. Christine? You'll never beat him. Oh. It's Jay Nolly. Oh, sweet. Jay Nolly's magic. He, he wears, wears a magic cat. I need to dig out our little bumper that I've got for him for the segment of going, I'm Jay Nolly, and that was magic. Yeah. My, my last card is uh, the reason why Church Kirk chose to name it this way. Uh, he's a goat from the original goats, Chivas de USA. It's Jesus Padilla. Ah, oh, I thought you were going to say he was the greatest Look of it. all time, and that's certainly not him. Arms open on arms, arms open there, like he's he's getting crucified. <laughs> I can say that. Yeah. So that was our cards for this week. I I need to. I've still got tons to put away in my little folders, so I I need to do that this week and see exactly how many doubles I'm playing with. I got seven can, now. We we can hang around all the community centres and see if folk want to swap and stuff and <laughs> set up some swap meets. See who turns up for those. Bound, bound to be tons of folk. But that that's that part over. That's part one of the fun over. But we've got a lot more fun to come. And what is more fun than talking about a white caps win? And it's something that we've had to do quite a lot in recent weeks it's actually been been pretty nice but another another win in the books and in this case it was a must win game this one was absolutely massive we spoke about it on last week's show this stretch of three games that's coming up minimum seven points for me you have to take from this ideally nine but if you come away with seven that's a good result and this game against Dallas, it had to be a, a must-win. It wasn't the most exciting game at times. Dallas, I thought, were really, really poor. I I think the Whitecaps, very deserved winners. Yeah, they nearly threw it away with that that penalty giveaway in stoppage time before Max Cripo came up massive with it. But what did you make of the game, Steve? How did you, you come away feeling from this one? Uh, again, very similar to um, last week's Colorado performance. Very solid mm. performance. Nothing spectacular. Uh, they did what they had to do in, in most parts of the pitch and basically just came up with a victory. And again, yeah, you're right. The heroic ending to that really played a big part because it would have been massively disappointing if that a game ended yeah. up in a draw. Yeah, that's... 
That, that's an understatement for sure. To have thrown away two points in that, that way in particular, Zach, would have just been bad for the team, been bad for the fan base and how they're feeling going to games. Now you've sent the fan base home happy. You've sent them home with a spring in their step, their cock-a-hoop. They're looking forward to, to getting into next week's game. This was the biggest crowd of the, the season for the Whitecaps at 11,000. Send them home happy. Yeah, I, I think, well, it wasn't a great football match to watch. If no, wrong. but you right? always you remember that you always remember how you go home. That's exactly. Thing. But I, well, having said that, I was going to say, Michael, this is the kind of game you, you often talk about. Yeah. Where it doesn't matter if it was champagne football, doesn't matter how flowing it was or how easy on the eyes it was. What it matters is that you got the result. And I agree with you. I think people are going home very happy because of the result and in particular how it ended. Yeah. And the, the, the lineup that we saw that, that came out for this one, I wasn't watching the game live and I managed to avoid the score, which was great. So watching it when because I Because you were working because you were working hard. I, you yes. were in the football community. Yeah, commentating on two games and watching another game in between. That's that's we'll we'll come to the game I watched in between at the end of this section, actually, because it was Whitecaps related. But I, I saw the lineup when it came out and I was like, hmm. That's a few surprises. Two up front, I expected, after what Vanny said after the Colorado game last week. You got the feeling he really, really wanted to go for that two two up front. Florian Jungworth being out, though, I thought was a big blow. And when you, you looked at the lineup, Bruno Gaspar came into the, the lineup, Javain Brown dropped out, Jake Norwinski came into a back three. I was a little bit concerned. I thought, are they going to be able to hold the likes of Pepe at bay? Full credit to them. Defensively, they were great. And for me, Andy Rose was the man of the match, Steve. I thought he put in a tremendous shift. Well, I, 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 I didn't notice him too much, which is probably a good thing. Because uh, you didn't notice <laughs> yeah. the mistakes or something like that. But um, yeah, decent performance by these. Anytime you have a... a, a a clean sheet, ultra clean sheet, uh, it is going to be a good performance for their back line. Um, but they did let up seven shots on net. Some, most, uh, most of them were from outside the box, but still seven shots on net. And uh, Crippo came up big too. So it was in joint joint venture and everything amongst the back line and the goalkeeper there. I, looking at the the who scored ratings, which I, I always love to do, the Crippo got 9.1. And obviously the, that dramatic penalty save clearly indicated that. Yeah. But looking at the rest of them, you had Dahomey at 8.2, you had Owusu at 8. Uh, Tybert got 7.6, as does Ryan Gold. And I thought Gold was fairly quiet because he yeah. had a lot of guys on him. That's what we've talked about before. He's going to attract the attention, which is going but to it, leave space for the other guys. Yeah, exactly. That's what happened there. Like Tybert had a good... Uh, attacking performance. Well, Timber yeah, set, set up the goal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. No, but even besides the goal, he still had a good, nice, positive moment. He took a shot with his right foot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I had made a joke when we were doing the the UBC commentary because so some guy from the midfield, I can't remember who it was now, had played a cross in, and for some reason Gideon said, "Oh, very Russell Tiber esque there." I was like. But he played it forward. It's, that wasn't. What, what are you talking about? And then I got home and I watched the beautiful pass that 
that he had right onto the, the head of, of Brian White. But defensively, Andy Rose got the highest rating on who scored at 7.4. So it, it's given Vanny Sartini some questions. Well, talk in the next part about what they might want to do for, for the Houston game. But, but getting into this one, Dahomey, I was very critical of him last week. I didn't think he was that impactful. I didn't think he did put in a very good defensive shift as well. But in those opening 10 minutes, Dahomey was the guy that was causing all the trouble for the Dallas defence. He was the most lively white cap. He had a chance in the third minute with a header off a gold corner that, that was cleared and then one that flashed past the post in the ninth minute. But then Dallas, shown they were still in the match, O'Brien went up the pitch right away and off a quick free kick brought a good save out of, of Max. And I'm thinking, good end-to-end stuff. This could go either way. But then the breakthrough came in the 20th minute Rare for the Whitecaps to get that first half goal, Zach, but we talked about it. Fantastic ball in from, from Russell. Great header from, from White. Met it perfectly. And like great cross, great movement from White into the corner. 1 0. Yeah, you described it perfectly. Like quality ball from Russell. Uh, as Steve would say, White at the right, a proper place at the proper time with the right technique and just a good finish. And I think at this point, it's hard to, I think it's hard. I mean, we could argue about technique or the ease on the eyes, but it's really hard to argue with the contributions that Brian, Brian White has made yeah. uh, in, in, in the time he's, that he's been, been in Vancouver. I, I keep thinking and I, I feel bad for myself for thinking about it. He's the worst good scoring striker that we've had at the club. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He, he doesn't do much, but he puts the ball in the pokey, and that's what you want. I'm, I, I, yeah. And his technique—I mean, his technique on the goal is good, but his technique at other points has not been great. Yeah. I remember. I remember once talking with—I um, won't name him—but uh, a former a former Whitecap talking about Thomas Muller, and he was always like. I just don't get Thomas Muller. Like his technique is so awkward. He's this gangly, tall dude. He's so awkward. I don't think he's as good as you know all his stats show. And yet, he he is like one of the like he's like a world, you know, in my opinion, a world class class player who gets it done. Obviously, yeah. Brian White's this is a different level, different caliber. But Brian Brian White, I think whatever you want to say about how he's getting it done. He's getting it done. He's getting it done. And that, that's the thing, Steve. And I've said this several times on the show over the years. Like Zach referenced it there. If you grind out a 1-0 win, I'm happy with that. If you've got a striker that's not doing much for the whole game, but he pops up with your match winner, I'll take that. Uh, that's all you're looking for in these kind of situations too from a striker. Like, um, you can't expect, like, if Lucas Cavallini had the same kind of mentality, maybe he would score more goals oh, too. Yeah. It's just that he you know, Cavallini wants to do too much. And he doesn't need to, and White just does what he needs to do in order to get on the scoreboard. And we've always got to remember how he was prolific uh, at Red Bull, so he's finding his feet. I I was speaking to somebody about it, and they said, look, you've still got to give him time. He's still getting used to the system. He's getting used to everything that goes with it. And we are starting to reap the rewards now. The one thing that has to be said, we can't let this discussion of the goal uh, end without mentioning that as good as the cross was and the the run and the the header, this is this is also at least a slice of dodgy keeping. Yeah. Like what? Remind me what what happened to their keeper? One of the, their main keeper got stopped at the border or did, couldn't couldn't cross the border, couldn't get on the flight or something. 
They were talking about it on the broadcast. Oh, now that I didn't hear. Yeah, on, the, on the broadcast, I think they said, I don't know if it's their main guy or whatever, but uh, he was the one of the one of the players wasn't couldn't make it because of border issues. I thought maybe maybe he had like an Ali Adnan visa or something, but no, mm-hmm. like he, he couldn't get into he couldn't get into the country. But it, when you watch it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty poor decision making by the keeper to come get the ball. He doesn't doesn't read what rights uh, White's run well. Yeah. And, um, so and it's something again, that good, good great job by White, but yeah. It's something that we've been caught with over the over the years as well, and and and, and to boil it down for for me, if you uh, if you were to boil the game down into one essence, it was it came down to a moment of dodgy keeping and a moment of quality keeping. That's pretty fair. A good summation, I would say. There, the, the rest of the half, it, it was very little to write home about, which was good for me because I could watch it at double speed as I was trying to get to bed and and catch up with my sleep. All that really happened of note in the first half, Whitecaps had a couple of chances late on. Cava had a, a header that was tipped over, which was pretty much the only thing he did in the whole game. Then White had a shot that, that went just wide. But, I mean, you felt the Whitecaps were in control, didn't feel worried at all. Dallas were just showing very little. And the second half started pretty much the same way. There was just very little chances for both teams. They, it was going end-to-end, but they just weren't creating... Goal scoring opportunities. Fine. The lacking lack of final third. Like, yeah, that's for for both teams. Yeah, and it shows you why they're both out outside the the playoff picture just now. Dallas especially, but it was surprising because like we've seen how good Pepe is this year, and you've got to give good credit to the Whitecaps here. They negated Pepe. Like I was saying that Ryan Gold had a quiet game because Dallas kind of took him out of it a little bit. We took Pepe out of that as well. He just wasn't at the races yesterday. But I want to talk about something that happened just before the hour mark. And it had actually been something I was having a conversation with. We were just chatting Whitecaps up up at UBC during one before one of the games and stuff. And we were talking about Lucas Cavallini and the, the striking department and everything like that. And whether Cava should maybe move on at, at the end of the season. The thing that I keep mentioning that really lets his game down here is the stupid bookings that he's picking up. Now, I like players that play with an edge. I like players with aggression. If you're going to get booked for showing a bit of aggression in a tackle, I don't have issues with that. If you're showing aggression when there's absolutely no need to show aggression, I do have an issue with that. This lunge that that Kava got booked for, it was absolutely pointless. Why do you need to jump in with your foot stretched out like that? I, I don't get it at all. Especially when he's not long back from suspension, which means he doesn't need many more cars to get a second suspension. It just It's so frustrating. But it, it gives me the, the question I'm going to put to both of you. I think he should be moved at the end of the season. I don't think he's a good fit for us just now. I don't think we're a good fit for him. I tell you what might be a good fit, which is TFC. They might want to look at replacing Josie Outdoor with someone like him. I'd even swap to get Josie Outdoor here with him. I know. How old is Josie now? It might be 30s or something like that. I could yeah, he, he's probably, I'm going to say 33, 34. I'll, I'll check that as we're talking. But I mean, Steve, what, what do you feel about Kava? 31, 31. Oh, wow. Actually, that's younger than I was thinking. I would take yeah. him here then. I would take that. So I'd take an outdoor Cava swap. 
I would, I, I'm not even worried. Like, yellow cards, yes, are uh, a very worrying aspect to his game. Um, but my whole thing is, is I just don't think he fits the style of uh, striker that the white caps are looking for. Like, yeah. I know everybody's looking for the number nine, and he is an ideal number nine, uh, but not with a system. Well, now, I, I, I was thinking a long time before when MBS was in, in charge, I don't know what they're doing going forward. Mm. Uh, what If That's they are keeping thing. that same system, or but the NDS system, he wasn't the ideal striker um, uh, for me because they wanted to play a front three that can interchange, and Cavallini can't play on the wings. So yep. uh, that, that negated a lot of uh, options that they had in the, for their attack. So, yeah, I, I, I think that... The, uh, that if they can find something, if there's a spot for him to go to and they can find something um, that fits their style better, I wouldn't mind moving. Yellow cards, I could, you know, I think it is stupid that he keeps taking yellow cards. It seems like he's taking one in every game this year. It I feels like wrong. that. No, it, it definitely feels like that. In, including the international games too. Yeah. Um. So I... Uh, but when, when so, you just put out a lazy boot, yeah. which is no, like there was no need to make that tackle yesterday. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta stay on your feet and just keep the uh, the attacking players and save your yellow cards for when it's something in a dangerous position. And he Not always looks surprised that he's then got booked, and it's like you should you should have learned by now. But I mean, what would you do with him, Zach? I think this one is it feels like a situation where it's easy for us to sit and talk about oh like yeah making a swap with you know for Josie sounds great like it sounds like a football manager or like a you're playing FIFA or whatever kind of yeah thing. Uh, uh, the, the, up- ignore the swap part it's like yeah. would you do you want him here next season or do you feel for both parties it's best that a move is made well again I think there the there's the questions are sequential and so I think you can't answer that question until you've answered a question that we're going to discuss later in the show, which is who's going to be the new coach. Yeah. Like, Cause it, I think it's, cause who yeah, is, he might want is. to play with a system that suits him down to the ground. Exactly. So as much as the white caps have pillars and ideals and whatever, they don't really have like an, a, like a full identity, like a, a fuller identity, right. Of we're only going to play this way. And so a new, a new coach will have flexibility to shape things and a player like Cavallini might be something that a new coach wants to use in a, in a more dynamic way or as a, as a more of a focal point than he's currently being used as. And so I think you, you, you can't answer your question without answering who's coming in. If, it was, if, if it was up to me, I, 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 I think it's best if they can keep him and still um, try and get the best out of him or trying to get better out of him because of what they paid for him, mm. because of who he is, because of his place in the national team, because of the chance that he could be at a, a World Cup with the national team that's not during an MLS season soon. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons why it would be good for Vancouver to hang on to Lucas Cavallini. I mean, another reason I'm quite keen to get shot of him is because he is involved with the national team and we lose him for so many games because of stupid scheduling and stuff. So, I mean, that does play play a factor into it as well. And I'm not saying get rid of him and have Brian White as your main striker. We obviously need to get a top number nine in to, to, yeah. to replace him. But I mean, he was pulled off soon after getting that booking. So obviously, Vanni Sartini knows that he got to, got to watch a little bit here. Yeah, I'm not happy sure. about it either. Not, I'm not sure. No. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was scheduled or not, but 
if it wasn't, that showed some um, some quality assertion from from the interim head coach. Yes. I mean, after that, that again, very little of note in the match. Dallas were being reduced to just having shots from the edge of the box. Max was doing it well. Game went into stoppage time. I'm like, here we go. Three points. Typing up the match report. Very comfortable. And then the, the penalty incident. So when it happened, I was going to say when I was watching it live, but when, it, when I was watching it at half past midnight, as the game played out, I was like, oh, I think that's a penalty. That's going to get looked at. And then the game went on and then it got stopped when gold got tackled. Then as soon as they showed the replay, I was like, oh, yeah, that is definitely a penalty. So b- before we go into any more of that, does anyone not think it was a penalty? It was Do a penalty. That? Yeah, yeah it, it was a clear penalty. And I feel for Patrick Metcalf. He was getting a hell of a lot of abuse on social media I saw after the event. I shouldn't read the comments on the Whitecaps tweets and stuff, but I, well, I thought... That's, that's where you wish they had a little zonal marking. Yeah, it, it was a stupid challenge. Was he, he, again, he was playing that wide midfield position, right? Because they were playing three, was it three, four, well, or whatever? Yeah, this was another another match and they talked about it in the commentary as well of the subs were made and it's like well yep good luck trying to work out what we're playing yeah. now yeah because i think in the in the match i think he said he was playing fullback or or whatever wing back and again i was just like like what's he doing there like he does not belong like nothing against patrick Metcalf, but he doesn't belong there no that is not his role he's a defensive midfielder mm-hmm. that's I, i've that's what i've seen him for most of his career and where he's he's excelled during his career as well, but by doing that, is that just you think like uh, in part the interim tag with Vanny, so he can kind of feels like he can do be a little bit freer to do things like that. I, I think that's just how he thinks, though. So, yep, clear clear penalty given away, and I was like, oh, I cannot believe that they've worked so hard to get this and they've thrown it away. And I'll be honest. I thought that was it. I thought it was going to be in the back of the net. It was going to be 1-1. I I should have trusted the wonder that is Max Cripot because it wasn't the best penalty in the world from Frank O'Hara, but a fantastic save by Max Cripot as well. Talk about, it, it was a night of frontline heroes. Max Cripot was the backline hero. Yeah. Fran- Franco, I, I, I was surprised that Pepe didn't take it. I know Franco is the new DP for them or whatever. Yeah, he's only been on the pitch seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's another one where somebody just came on the pitch recently and took a penalty. Was, I know, and this, I think uh, they were mentioning on the broadcast he might not even had a touch up until that point. Yeah, Oof. it it was a again quality. Whenever a keeper makes a saves on a penalty, it's quality. Unless yeah. unless it's like an Ali Adnan penalty, then maybe not so much. But but usually, whenever a keeper makes a save on a penalty, they've done well. They, kudos to them. But they, again, this was a horrible penalty. I think his follow-up, uh, uh, when the rebound came to him, was also not good. And then a few moments later, yeah. he was set up in the center, yes. of the center of the box, and he, he and he tried to put it outside BC Place. Yeah, I don't know about you, but when they call when they call him a DP, I had just like memories of Jarju. <laughs> like that's what it felt like to me. New DP. Big expectation comes on, has a moment, and I actually checked after the game. I was like, he can't be a DP. They must have got that wrong. And it, no, no, he's a he's a DP. It's just why? Why doesn't Pepe? Why wouldn't Pepe take that? <sighs> I don't know, but thankfully for us, he didn't. 
It was it was a nightmare subs performance from him, but we saw it out. Well, I, I want to mention the, my favorite part of the penalty, uh, the celebration. Oh, everyone's mobbing and the game's still going on. The Whitecaps acted like a U10s and younger. Uh-huh. <laughs> running well, all to the thing and then Crepo going is like, back to the There's box. a throw-in. <laughs> yeah, it's like the game's still going on. Actually, like only, Max and Ranko were the only players that seemed to like point that there's a throw-in. No, there was another player who was was heading towards Crepo, but then realized that there was a throw-in and ran over there too. No, but uh, the only person that needed to come to Crepo was Metcalf. Other than that, everybody else should have been like ready to. But but you can imagine it was a very emotional. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm glad that they were able to hold on because that you'd mentioned that 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 shot that Hara took in the in the middle of the box that should never he should have been that wide open, and that's probably just the adrenaline flowing on the Whitecaps not really concentrating on whether it should be. You know, we talked a year or two ago, whatever, about Max's triple save. This was a triple miss from Franco. Yes. But you saw what I meant to the players at the final whistle as well, because, again, they all mobbed uh, Max at the final whistle, and it was great to see the atmosphere. I was speaking to a couple of folk that were there last night, and they just said it was electric after that save, and then the players were very emotional at the end of the game. Because it's huge. If they had dropped two points there, then that could have been their season gone. And I know there's still a lot of football to be played, but it had that kind of feel to it that that would have been the sucker punch that could really have been the final blow for them. But it turns out that it wasn't. So, I mean, that's one thing. If anyone is following Vanny Sartini on Instagram, check out his Instagram story from today because it's fantastic. He's holding his cat up. And he's saying, explaining to Frida about the night before. And then it's got another thing going, so so Max saved this PK in, in stoppage time. And then the cat saying, I don't know what he's talking about. It was just really funny. I, I love Van, he's a, he's a character. But overall, very good win. I thought there's some strong performances all round. I thought Gold was maybe a little bit quiet, and he has been for the last couple of games. But a, a lot to build on. We'll talk about what it might mean for the next two games coming up in the next part. We might have some some help coming, though, because Vito, remember him? I didn't think we would see him this year. But it looks Vite? like he's... Vite? Vite. His... See, I'd even forgotten his name. It's been that long ago since we signed him. His visa seems sorted, and he should be joining up with the team soon. So we should hopefully see him at some point on the pitch before the year's out. And there's no connection between not letting the Dallas keeper in? Don't think it's got anything to do with that or the two Michaels either. I, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to keep track of all this news at the moment. So another win for Vanni Sartini. And I think the way that the team's going, I, I think it's pretty safe to say there's not going to be a big rush to fill the, the head coach's position before this season's out. I think they're going to take their time. They're going to make sure they get the right man for the job over over the winter Hopefully an appointment in November or, or December, though, just so we've given him maximum time to, to do what he, he's doing for, for next week. But I got a chance to sit down with Axel Schuster earlier this week just to chat about some other stuff. But I couldn't have him on a Zoom call and not ask him how the search was going for a new head coach. So nothing earth shattering in this, but here, here's what Axel had to tell me. can't have you on the line and not ask you about the the coaching search now at the weekend 
Dallas got rid of their head coach, Luchi Gonzalez. So right now, there's a number of teams, including ourselves, looking for a head coach in, in MLS. Toronto, RSL, Dallas, Whitecaps. How urgent does this make filling the position? I, I know you wanted to take your time, do your due diligence. There's a good chance there's probably going to be some other coaching vacancies come the end of the season in the league as well. Does it make you feel you maybe want to get this appointment done sooner rather than later, just in case any of these other teams come sniffing around? Our first priority is to win a game on Saturday and to to stay in the playoff run and to to compete for the playoff spot and to get into this playoff spot at the end of the year. I think as long as we end this run and the actual group of of, uh, of coaching staff that is working on that and have now in four games 1.75 points in average in in four games and and uh, with one goal in average conceded uh, keeps us in this run. So um, as I said, they they have a fair chance, and for now uh, we we are in this run, and the, the most important thing is to stay in this run and to get other results. Um, from there, we will decide. We still don't feel rushed because other uh, clubs are looking for coaches. I think there are so many coaches out and with mm, probably other changes are coming. Also, other coaches are coming onto the market and get available. So we are following everything. We we are preparing for every sing, single scenario. But uh, most of our energy uh, we spend right now to, to win the next game and to stay in this run. So Axel Schuster there just talking about the search for a new head coach. There, there's no big rush. He's, he's not worried that there's a number of other teams that are, are looking for coaches just now. One of them being, of course, FC Dallas after they had got rid of Luchi Gonzalez the week before. Interesting, though, that he said that, yeah, that we, we know that this, there's vacancies and we know that there's coaches available. And he said, and I'm expecting there will be more coaches available come the end of the season which got me thinking, does that tie in with maybe what we talked about before, Bob Bradley not being extended in LAFC? Is he the kind of guy that the Whitecats might be looking at? He, he definitely could be. It's just that it's a matter of whether other teams are willing to take him on. Like, There's going to be a lot of other teams looking for coaches too yeah, and a lot of other spots. So I think and you mentioned, we mentioned uh, Toronto. Uh, TFC would probably be number one on that list. Yeah, you think so. Unless he's a West Coast guy and wants to stay on the West Coast. That's the only thing I can see stopping mm. him from going to TFC. The the other thing with, with regard to like searches for the coaches is like from what I'm led to understand there's four main criteria that the Whitecaps are looking for for pillars. a head coach. Four pillars, four criteria. What, what they're looking really for is a guy that has won stuff. Uh, a decent level with another club. So they're not so much looking for assistant coaches that have done well and are looking for their first step up. They're wanting an established, proven track record coach. So that's good. They're looking for somebody that can build a good defensive side, as teams that don't give up a lot of goals, which in MLS is certainly an important thing to have. They're looking for a guy that has got a track record of bringing through young players and working with young players. And they're looking for a guy as well, because I'd kind of put feelers out of, oh, are we maybe going to go down a continental coach like we've seen elsewhere? But they want a coach that can definitely speak English for one thing. So that that's that's a good thing. We don't want another Matthias Almeida that has a translator 
getting sent off for shouting things at fourth officials. I mentioned last week Daniel Farka from Norwich, so I'm I'm doing a Farka watch now for for the season. A sixth straight loss for Norwich City this weekend. Broke a record. Yeah, I I think he's going to be available soon. I would not be surprised if the Whitecaps made a little bit of a play for him. I'm basing that solely on the fact that he's German, yes. But he does tick all those criteria that I just talked about there. Of course, we've no idea if he's even interested in in coming over to to MLS. A guy that's won two championship titles is probably going to be in demand by a lot of championship clubs as well. But for sure, that's that's a definite. That is, yeah. that's, somebody's going to go after there. But he does fit their criteria because even before Norwich City, he was with Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, who are known so, for developing players. Yeah, so he's he's brought through guys there playing in I think third or fourth division. It was in Germany at the time. But I mean, whoever it is that comes in, we know that they're going to be working with young players and the exciting thing next year, of course, is we're having MLS Reserve League returning, uh, MLS 2, whatever it's going to be called. Details are still pretty scant on it as to how many games it's going to be, how everything's going to work, is it going to be regional, divisional, conference-related, whatever. But there's going to be a lot more opportunities I was talking about the some of the abuse that Patrick Metcalf was getting on social media for giving that penalty away. It really helps develop guys like him if you've got these games where you're playing full games and not just coming on for 10 or 15 minutes the odd week and then having a couple of weeks off and then coming in again. The, the other big thing as well is that the under-19s, MLS just now, are really just focusing on the 15s and the 17s for the youth development. They've kind of moved away from the under-19 model. So the Whitecaps still wanted to have an under-19 side. They wanted to have the under-16 team that they've introduced as well uh, as a gap for in-between. And with the 19s, they were struggling to see who they could play with the whole COVID era and everything. So we mentioned it on the show before, but for anyone that's unaware, they've actually joined one of the local men's amateur leagues, the Fraser Valley Soccer League. And I've had concerns uh, about them joining that because they've played three games so far. Game one, they won 9-0. Game two, they won 4-0. So it's like, how much development are you really getting when you're not being that tested? So that was something else I did put to Axel when we had our chat. Here's what I had to tell me around that. We touched a little bit on this the last time, and I know the MLS two leagues coming in, hopefully, next next season. We're going to have the under-23 team in that. The under-19 team at the moment, they're in the Fraser Valley League. Now, they've had two games under their belt, a 9-0 win, a 4-0 win. Do you feel they're really being tested and getting the development that you need from these guys in this league for, for this year? For this year, everything is a little bit more complicated because a lot of leagues haven't, haven't really played and uh, teams were struggling with all the COVID restrictions. We also have to, to respect of, of them. So it's it's not uh, the only competition and the only league in that we want to participate. Um, we, we are up to play uh, with our United team in the future BC1 league. And I think that will be um, a much higher competition and a much higher level and, and also much more challenge for our, our young guys to play in that league. Um, you know that we have decided to have U19 um, for various reasons. The same way we have decided to have U16 
um, that are not uh, teams uh, you are mandated to have. Um, MLS only asked to 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 participate in U15 and U17 and yeah. then the new U23. We think it is very important to have um, other other groups uh, because the, the the steps are so big. So same with our U16. Um, the U16 is our next U17. What is the uh, what is a very important team and the U19 is uh, a pool of players that uh, are not just ready to play in the U23 um, but needs minutes and maybe some late developers or some guys that are still way young and just coming out of the U17 because the step between U17 and U23 is very big. If you now look at the results and if you now look at uh, the la last games I also have to to mention that uh, some players played in these teams and play in these teams right, team right now that are probably later U23 players. But because the U23 right. is right now not playing, those players play in the U19 to get minutes. So it, I don't think that that is the final group of the U19 that competes in those leagues. And maybe now the league on the competition is not strong enough to really challenge our guys. But again, in a COVID year and with all the problems we have, we are lucky and happy to have any form of competition. So Axel, they're just talking about the, the testing of the under-19s. And as he mentioned there, a lot of these games that they've played so far, the 9-0 and the 4-0, they actually had some of the under-23 players playing in it as well. Ironically, after doing that interview, and I mentioned I went to see a Whitecaps-related game in between the two UBC games I was commentating on Saturday night, it was the under-19's third game in the Fraser Valley Soccer League and they were playing FC Tigers, another team that I, I commentate on, led by former Whitecaps under-16 head coach Adam Day. They beat the Whitecaps last night 4-1. So maybe they are going to get tested, but maybe only by FC Tigers. It's, uh, I know he doesn't have a physical one, but that's gold medalist Adam Day. Yes, and interestingly, because he wears a number of hats, he was out coaching another game, got caught in a little bit of traffic, missed the start of the FC Tigers game. Whitecaps had gone 1-0 up, and then as soon as Adam arrived, they turned it around and won 4-1. Not seen as a coaching what, genius, but there you go. What, what's the uh, the, Pers the uh, FC Tigers, what's their like average age range? Well... They've got, like, their main guy is Farivar Tarabi, and he's in his early 30s. But you're probably talking mid-20s. Mid-20s. And so, yeah, they're playing, yeah. So it's a little bit of men versus boys. That yeah, I mean, the, the whole oh. league is. But there's a lot of academy teams in there as well. But the yeah. Whitecaps under-19 academy guys are better than some of these other under-23 academies. So they're yeah. not getting a huge test. But it's like kind of a, a needs-much approach for the season. But... Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on all that. But that is it for the Whitecaps chat for this part. We're going to be looking around MLS and some big news that came out this week. And we'll be back talking about that after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Drink, 
yep, here is a Magnus No way, no she don't drink ciders Okay, how about a lager? Oh no, you want a pina colada? Well that's too dear, so dear you get nada Oh dear, oh dear, getting daggers Fear boyfriend, shit, she a slapper But she want the, it don't matter If he want to come to me, he's getting plaggered Get smashed, hit with the glass I take his bitch and I'm hitting her Oh, you know, you can we go So hen, let me take you and me to go Oh, Listen. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our last song from our Artist of the Month for September here at AFTN from Edinburgh, Scotland, Word SOS. It's a song we played from him way, way back. It's from 2010, from his Scottish rap remix tape volume 2, sampling Lady Gaga... That was Poker Face. So we're going to talk MLS in this part. The Whitecaps' win on Saturday night has left uh, them sitting ninth in the West, three points back off the, the playoff spots, but with a game in hand. Going to do a very, very quick sort of MLS roundup of, of the results in the West because there's been some interesting games and it's been a another fairly good weekend of action for, for the Whitecaps in this one. So the Western teams kicked off at 5 o'clock Pacific time. Colorado and Toronto played out a 0-0 draw. That's 11 games now undefeated for Colorado. So they're not getting wins every week, but they're, they're certainly in a good run. Minnesota beat Houston 2-0. It would have been great for the Whitecaps if Houston could have got anything from that. But since they haven't won a single away game all season, I think that was maybe going to be a bit hopeful. So 2-0 win there for Minnesota. San Jose Earthquakes, very good result for the Whitecaps, getting the better of LAFC 2-0. And then it was almost, what time is it in Portland? But it turned out to be six of the best as the Timbers dismantled Real Salt Lake 6-1 in another excellent result from a a Whitecaps perspective. I watched the, the highlights of that after I watched the Whitecaps game last night and the first half, it did not feel like a 6 one game. RSL was still very much in it and then Portland just upped the tempo and then just took over in the second half coming away with a 6-1 win. A couple of games played today. Seattle got the better of Johnny Russell's Sporting Kansas City 2-1. Johnny getting a goal there for Sporting Kansas City. And I called this one last week. LA Galaxy's horrendous run of form has continued. 2-0 defeat away to Austin and that has actually made things very interesting in the standings. Because we, we talked all season, or I talked all season, that I, I thought the top four in the West were pretty much home and dry. That had included the LA Galaxy a few weeks ago. Yeah, they're not they're even dropped. in the top four anymore. Yeah. So you've got Seattle leading the way in 48 points from 25 games. Kansas City 46 from 26. Colorado 45 from 25. Portland now up to fourth, 40 points from 26. And it's important to note that if you finish in second, third or fourth, you're guaranteed to have a home playoff game as well. And first obviously gets a a first round bye. LA Galaxy have now dropped to fifth, 38 points from 26 games played. Minnesota, 37 from 25. 
Salt Lake 36 from 26, LAFC 33 from 26, Whitecaps 33 from 25, San Jose 33 from 26. So, I mean, the way the Galaxy's going, you've really got six teams now battling for three playoff spots when even a couple of weeks ago, it looked like there was one, maybe two, that we were looking at, at playing for. Now we've got three on the table, I, I feel. I think Portland are pretty going to be home and dry, the, the form that they're in just now. But Yeah, but they could slip up too. I wouldn't put them in the, the you know dry right now. Like They're only seven points ahead. They could have a spill or something like that. So I still, say, I still say there's four spots up for grabs overall. But it's very exciting. And it, it makes these next couple of games all the, the more important as, as well, Zach, because they're playing two teams that's out with the playoff spots. Yeah, I mean, which are as we've talked about, must must win games for them. I I, I just want to make a comment on on what you were saying earlier about LA, uh, LA Galaxy. Uh, you're right; they have dropped off the the pace a bit. Um, but I still think that they're going to be one of those teams that makes it in. I I think that yeah, you'd think they should be with the talent think, that they've got with the talent, but also just I think Vanny's yeah, he knows how to get it done. Yeah, I think. Is going to get them get them over over the line. They've been blanked in the last two games, so like three 0 lost to Minnesota, and then a two 0 lost to to Austin. Their next two games that they've got coming up. Actually, I'm just looking at the next three games coming up. So they've got Salt Lake away on Wednesday, and although Salt Lake's in a bit of a dip as well, they are good in Utah. Then they've got LAFC, and then they've got Portland. So that's going to be tough for them. Although they seem to race their game against LAFC, uh, as we know that derbies can bring it out for them. But it's exciting because it's going to make the running... I, I mean, let's be honest, back in the end of June, July, I I still held hope that we could do this, the job at home and get back in the playoff picture. I would have maybe said I was 60% confident, but now you're looking at us and it's like, we've got a great chance of, of making the playoffs. This next game against Houston is big. Play on Wednesday night, 6 o'clock Pacific time kickoff. Houston's 12th in the West, 7 points and 3 places back from Vancouver, but they've played 2 games more. I feel their season's all over by the shout. And I, I, they'd have to really pretty much win out, I think, to, to get into the, the playoffs at, at this point with how many teams are above them. But part of that is because they can't win on the road. So winless for the whole season at home it's a bit of a different story they've got a 5-3-5 record this season at home still not very good no but off late they they lost to Minnesota on Saturday but that ended a three match unbeaten run for them they'd beaten Dallas and Austin both at home in that three game spell as well yeah but let's let's not like uh like build them up too much over that three you know, game on unbeaten streak, but as previously to that game on that they beat Houston three nil. Their last one before that was May twenty second against Vancouver. Mm. So they went from May twenty second to September eleventh to with zero wins in between, which is like sixteen games. So wow. definitely, let's not let, let's not bump them up too much over this line. They eventually had to have a good run. Uh, even every like they say. Uh, Every right season they clock, start a, off so strong, and then they yeah. just like every every they say every uh, a clock is right at least two times a day. Yeah, right? so you got to have a couple of runs, good runs every year. I mean, we've talked about how the Whitecaps' summer forms dipped over the years. Houston shit the bed 
after yeah, the, the start to the season, season after season, pretty much. And, the, and the, all it's amazing that all three Texas teams are bottom of conference, and usually they have such an advantage at home too. Yeah. Oh, it was so so well worth having a, a third Texan team added to the, to the mix. Yeah. It brings so much to the league. There's been eleven previous clashes down in Houston with the Whitecaps and the Dynamo. Houston's won eight of them. The Whitecaps have just won two, and there's been one draw. This is the third meeting of the season between the teams, which is kind of crazy, really. Dynamo won 2-1 in Houston in May, as you mentioned there, there, Steve. They were two up at half time before Caicedo pulled one back with 10 minutes left. And That was the bulletin board game. Yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was. But then a 0-0 draw in Utah, the official Whitecaps home game in July. Looking at the stats, Fafa Pico is the danger guy for Houston. He leads them in scoring with 10 goals. He leads them in assists with four assists. Maxi Arruti's got six goals and three assists. They've got dangerous players there, but what are you expecting from this game on Wednesday? And in particular, from a Whitecaps point of view, what lineup would you go for? With with Vanny, and also we don't know exactly with injuries and stuff, but with Vanny, it's kind of... You don't you don't know what you're getting really until yeah, well, they take the pitch. Well, I can guess about eight nine players probably who will be in the starting lineup. I'm not even that confident at that. No, okay. I because 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 I got uh, the people players that were subbed off: Cavallini, White, uh, Awusu, Dahomey, and then the players that were subbed on: Casido, Bikel, and Javane Brown. So and then Crippo. yeah, I think Brown will definitely start. And then Crepeau. So those those nine players are definitely. Oh, maybe. Uh, I feel like in, and then maybe you put a Veselinovic and Rose in there, and because they're on the back line, and I think that's your starting eleven right there. How they line up, I have no idea. Yeah, well, I was going to say first of all, would you go three at the back again, or would you try and go to a flat back four for this one? You might want to go flat back four just for safety. But the, the thing about how they play, uh, not maybe so much about how they played it, but the ability to do what you can do with how the, the players that they chose in the, in the game against Dallas is you can, it's, it's a three, four, two, one or whatever, but you can shift it. Right. Hmm. So that, that um, especially in that game, it was easy to shift so that Jake kind of is kind of really the left fullback in a back four with um, I can't remember who started. Oh, Gashbar yeah. dropping down. Right. And you can shift it and balance it in, in in certain ways. So I could see them doing that again. For me, the big question uh, I think comes down to is is flow and or somehow good Godoy ready to go? I, th- because- I think we can rule Godoy out. Uh, Flo's got a, an adductor strain, so I mean we've seen them clear up pretty quickly. I don't know if it can clear up that quickly though. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, it will be kind of quick. Because here's the thing. Um, I agree with you. Got your assessment on on Andy Rose in this match. He was he was very good and very helpful, but I don't think it's the best to rely on him for a, a long period of time. Mm. Especially through, like you could save Rose for the game back in, in, in at home against San Jose. That's the thing you gotta you gotta be able to space this out and be able to make well, yeah, sure that because you get the full line. That San Jose game is is huge because they're level in points with us. And you so, want to, and you are they going to go with a defensive minded lineup and then save like offensive dynamos like Ryan Gold and Russell Tyler for a late in the game uh, to bring on? Maybe. Um, so that's a, I mean, I, I I would keep three at the back and I'd maybe have, be, I'd have Brown, Rose, and a Rankle well, because then, because Brown is a centre back. So, I mean, you've, you'd I have your three centre backs. I just want to point out nobody called me out calling Russell Tyler an offensive dynamo. <laughs> 
Oh, I, th- I thought you were just making a dynamo joke because oh, it was Houston that we were playing. I, I thought you were being sarcastic and I didn't know if I needed to apply a laugh track or not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but the other big question is, do you keep the two striker up front or do you try and... Because Saturday was 3-4-1-2. So do you want to go with that or do you want to go 3-4-2-1 and go back to the Christmas tree? It's up in the air. I can't. I can't. I. I. I don't know if I could sleep if I keep thinking of what Sartini could possibly do. I'm gonna sleep <laughs> over that. So it's exciting. I, it's like I'm just what we're gonna to, get this week. I'm okay with just waiting till an hour before figuring out what he's gonna do. I think Even we have then, to wait until about five minutes into the game to kind of figure out what we're yeah. doing sometimes. But yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah. So let's get some quick predictions then. I'll, I'll kick things off. I am going to go for a disappointing one all draw. I'm going to go with a 2-2. Uh, I'm going to go with a Vancouver 2-1 win. That, w- that was my second choice, but I thought, although I want three wins from these games, if we, if we, get, if we beat San Jose and we just draw with Houston, I'll, t- I'll take the seven points because of how other results went at, at the weekend and stuff for us. And ultimately... Going to any away game and getting points at is good in MLA. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. We probably won't be doing a midweek show this week, but if anything really dramatic happens, we, we might come up with a, a quick one. Final bit of MLS chat, though, for this part. I want to talk about the big announcement that was made on Tuesday around the CONCACAF Champions League and the League's Cup. Now, we haven't really spoken very much uh, about this on our WhatsApp group or whatever, so I don't really know how you guys are, are all feeling about it. To, to break it down quickly for anyone that hasn't heard the, the news, from 2024, the CONCACAF Champions League is going to be completely revamped and it's going to involve two Canadian Premier League sides going straight into the first round along with MLS teams and Liga MX teams and stuff like that as well. We'll delve a little bit more into that side of things in the next part. There's also the announcement that the League's Cup, which is a tournament I cannot be bothered with. Last year, didn't watch any of it. This year, I kind of recorded the games and fast-forwarded through it. I fast-forwarded through the, the final on on midweek, which was just happy to see Seattle losing that. That's a money grab. I don't care about it. It shouldn't be played in the season. You saw the likes of Peter Vermees just putting out a really weak team because he didn't care about this competition. He wanted to focus on the league. And when you're discrediting and not giving the value to the US Open Cup that that tournament should have, yet you are like heavily promoting this League's Cup, that's everything that's wrong with modern-day football in North America. So the League's Cup, I have no time for just now. Come 2023, I am going to love the League's Cup because the MLS and the Liga MX seasons are going to be suspended for the month of August and a League's Cup tournament, World Cup style, with group games and knockout rounds will take place. The top three teams will claim a CONCACAF Champions League berth as well. And I'm sure there'll be financial rewards. Very few details are known, but I'm excited by it. Just quick initial thoughts. Zach, what's your feelings on it? Uh, honestly, I, I don't, I don't like it, Michael. I, I, I find it baffling that a league that can't take, um, the proper time to break for 
meaningful international matches is going to take a whole month off their season to add an, to add slash expand like a, a new competition. I get why they're doing it. Like this, this to me, this has a feel. Obviously, it's not the same, but it has a feel of the European Super League that we just mm-hmm. you know, saw saw attempted this past year. And it, it is all about the money, and it is all about the 2026 World Cup and building up to like a more like a, a North American Super League. Yeah, and like United. Although Don Garber has said there will not be a merger between Liga MX and and MLS, so this is as close as you're going to get with, with that. Yeah, but he's saying that for now, Michael. I mean, like, oh yeah, they, they, they said they wouldn't have more than twenty, you know, twenty four teams, twenty eight teams. Yeah. They come up. I mean, like, you... <laughs> yeah. But the the thing is, is that I I think even like some of the Mexican owners, uh, they were saying that the, the, it's highly unlikely that they'll be able to merge leagues. It just it doesn't make sense, um, yeah. travel wise and stuff like that. So, but, I think but as soon is, as, soon as it makes dollars, they'll do it. Yeah, I I think the thing that they were they've been discussing this whole time is probably this tournament. In order to uh, how to how yep. to make this tournament a huge thing, for me, again, it all depends on what else happens. If they decide to make the Gold Cup for every four years, then maybe this makes more sense to do something like this. Yeah, that is but, a uh, big thing as well but that I was thinking. I, but I don't like if this was a tournament within MLS, then maybe it's a mix. I I would probably be more for it. Um, but I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know. I I personally don't care too much about. The connection between uh, Mexican teams and MLS—it's not—it's not something I'm interested in at all. I mean, to be honest, I, I'm not either. But I just love cup football and I love yeah, tournament football. So the, the, it might change once I see it in play. Like, oh, yeah. I remember the very the scant ML- details are known just now. When, when MLS Cup is back, uh, yeah, it, MLS first, is back. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't sure about how much I enjoy that, and then I ended up enjoying that. So, uh, but that was something that had to be done. In order to make you know to get the season going, I'm I'm not sure about this at all. But I, I I'll I'll probably have to wait before I uh, can make a full judgment. Funny you should mention MLS is back because after the announcement, um, the Mexican president and uh, Victor Montagliani and Don Garber had a separate press conferences. So I actually asked Don Garber whether the success of MLS is back and. It really captured the imagination of the fans and there was a lot of excitement and the TV figures were good. How much that kind of shaped their decision to go with a, a very big and bold decision really to, to shut their season down for, for a month? Here's what he had to tell me. So uh, just about the new League's Cup, Don. The fact that you had this competition, MLS is back last year, and you saw what success that was, how it captured the fans' sort of imagination, did that make it a little bit easier for you to decide to put the season on hold for a month to have this competition? Absolutely. So that was a good question. And I think a lot of the learning that came out of the MLS is back tournament is what we use to create sort of the next generation of what a very, very specific uh, tournament format could look like. Uh, and we even toyed around with maybe we start our season uh, with a version of the MLS's back uh, tournament. But parallel to the recent thinking coming out of, the, of, of what happened in 2020 in Orlando was this continued uh, effort to try to get closer to 
uh, our counterparts down in Mexico uh, to uh, create something that can be a joint venture between the two of us uh, to provide our fans and our partners and our players with a very concentrated and focused effort uh, that could be valuable for the dry fan passion, but also be a value, valuable commercial property. Don Garber there. So the, the success of MLS back certainly is something that gives them some food for thought. And the, there is an appetite, I, I think, for having these kind of competitions. But in saying that, a lot of the reaction that I saw on social media was not positive and people didn't like it and they thought, again, just a cash grab, it's a waste of time. A lot of people came up with things that, that Zach was saying there. Now, here, here's why I like it for a number of reasons. I'll keep this short. I mentioned I love cup football. To me, that's great. It's very much something that I don't feel is fully appreciated here in North America. It's because you guys are not used to it and it's more a playoff system. But if this was just a tournament that was played and it's like, oh, here you go, you get a winner's medal, blah, 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 and a bit of cash, I would have no time for it. But it's because this actually has something meaningful out of it in that there are three qualification places for the CONCACAF Champions League that obviously can go on and lead to the Club World Cup. For me, I think this is massive. Stopping the season for a month, it's a unique thing to do. August, interesting time to do it, the best weather to, to play it, maybe too hot in, in certain places. The plans are that they are going to have group games around North America. So Vancouver could technically host group games. So you could be hosting a number of games here, which I would be quite keen on. And that's actually something that I had a sit down with, with Axel, as we played you some of it earlier. So I wanted to get his thoughts on this League's Cup what he feels it could mean to a club like the Whitecaps, and just a few other things around it as well. Here's what Axel had to say. Wanted to, to chat to you mainly today about the big announcement that was made on Tuesday. The League's Cup has been revamped. It's going to be a, a month-long tournament. MLS season's going to be put on hold. You're like me, I imagine, and coming from a country where cup football is such a, a big thing, this must be quite exciting to you. No, absolutely. It's it's really exciting. I think it's a great thing. Um, although I have to say it's uh, still almost two years until it really will, will be played. So um, it's still a long time to go. And, uh, but but anyway, I, I like I like every every form of competition, cup competition, knockout through rounds and stages, and and competing on a way high level with with teams from another league, from another country. It's always something uh, very um, encouraging and, and amazing, and it's something players are looking for. Um, and so it's 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 really something positive coming in future. It does feel still a long way away two years away but I mean I I was excited by the announcement because I I love cup football that's what my team in Scotland had its its best moments in over the years I think though in Canada in North America cup football's not fully appreciated and you see that with the Canadian championship and a lot of people don't care how the the club really do in it 
And then when the Champions League's been on, a lot of teams put out weaker sides, a lot of the attendances aren't there. You've got two years now. What do you feel the club, the league, just everything as a whole needs to do now to get people excited about this and to get people to understand just what this could lead to for the club and how important this could actually be? Yeah, I think first we have to give the whole thing a fair chance. Um, it's hard to compare with Europe because there's so much of history about cup competitions and and every team has a history in cup competitions and way often you play somebody you have played already in the past and there is already a story around that. So obviously this is not uh, uh, possible here right now because the league is still young and and all, all of the competitions are young and that's another young competition. But I think what we have to, to do and what we have all together to work on to make everyone uh, aware of the fact that there is a very important cup competition coming because uh, uh, it's about qualifying for, for the Champions League. It's about, uh, it's about uh, proving ourselves with another already well-proven league in the world of soccer. I think we have to, to, to educate people that that's something that matters, that is very important. And I think um, um, we, we have to be patient with, with all our expectations um, because I think that uh, also cup competitions in, in soccer in general will grow. Um, and I, I, we have participated in one game and I think that everyone who was in the stadium really enjoyed the cup competition, not probably uh, everyone, anyone who was related or connected with our team. But if we speak only about the event, the atmosphere and, and the game itself and, and how, how this night was for somebody who, who likes the sport, I think it was, a, it was a great marketing for cup competitions. Yeah, I, I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's Canadian Championship Day for three of the things. I was just watching the first half of Hamilton, uh, Halifax and Montreal there. It's something I love. And when I spoke to Mark before the Pacific game, he talked about how the Canadian Championship and the Champions League, it's an obsession for the Whitecaps to do well. Now, this tournament obviously gives you an extra way to qualify for Champions League. You've got the Canadian Championship as well. I don't know if MLS Cup winners for Canadians would now be allowed to be in as well because they, they couldn't before. But, I mean, what what this can lead to for the club, the, the club obviously wants to be one of the best in, in North America and then test itself ideally on, on the world stage. I know it's getting really, really far ahead and it's a long way away and there's a lot of logistics still to sort out. But but what this can lead to for the club must just really be quite exciting to you. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's also exciting for the players because you you if you play for, for many years in a league, it, yeah, you play the same opponents again and everyone knows exactly everything about the opponent. And if you go to Colorado, it's in the altitude and you have to deal with that and games after the 60 minutes develop in a certain way. It is also about this new of it to play a team, uh, a team that you don't know that well, a team with a different culture, maybe to, to maybe have a, a more hostile atmosphere in the stadium to deal with that. And that's what players want 
to 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 have and that's what we want to have to get our players stressed and to compete and and to challenge yourself on a, on a total different and maybe even higher level um because uh um i think that's that's the most attractive thing for me uh about the the european competitions in that you participate it's about this this uh, magic of going somewhere where you have never been before not exactly to know what happens not exactly to know what this team is doing uh how how strong it really is and then to prove yourself in in such a situation and, and to be ready for it and to be ready to have solutions for whatever comes up in the game and i think that's that's something we also want to do and with having a lot of talented and young players it's also a good another stage where we can prove and check uh these young players now obviously the logistics we, we know very little about it so far and watching it yesterday and hearing everyone say stuff there's still a lot to get sorted out all we know is there's going to be group games and there's going to be knockout games if if it was a case of like bidding to get one of the groups in Vancouver, do you think that would be something uh, that you'd be interested in? I know it's a long way down the line. Obviously, you do share a stadium with the BC Lions as well. But to me, that would be such a great way to market it here is if you can actually host one of the groups here. Yeah, absolutely. We we would we, we would love to host uh, uh, a group stage. Uh, we would be yeah, totally up for it. I think uh, Vancouver is a great place. I heard the tournament will be played in in summer, late summer. Uh, I think that's the best period in the year to play games in, in Vancouver. Um, and I think we are a city that is pro has proven that uh, it can host events and uh, that events uh, are very attractive for for the people here in the city. Uh, we see that with Rugby 7 coming into town, Olympic Games, we know all of that. So I think uh, Vancouver would be an amazing place and I really would love to to host such a group stage. Yeah, what I like about it, like the, the tournament just now, I'm not a fan of. It just seems like a money-making exercise, but you've actually got something at the end of this which makes it worthwhile. And I'm all about trophies as opposed to friendlies and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, th I think that's great. So Axel Schuster, very excited by the prospect of this tournament, but pointing out it's still two years away and in the current climate of COVID and stuff, it's hard to maybe plan too much ahead. And there are very little details known just now. I, I just like it. Let's get your thoughts on it as well. I think it might take a bit of selling for some folk, but it's the meaningfulness of it that, that does it for me. So we'll, we'll see how it works out. And if Vancouver can host some group games, I think initially you might find it's going to be the World Cup host cities that get to to host some of these these groups and games. But we'll see how that goes. The other big burning question around it as well is, what does it mean for the MLS season? And that was a question Don Garber didn't have an answer for. Will they have to start it later? Will they, sorry, earlier. Will they have to finish it later? Or will there be a slew of midweek games getting played? So these are all the logistics that's got to get sorted out. But for now, I'm looking forward to it. But that is it for this part. That is it for our MLS chat. We've got another couple of parts we're going to bring you. And we're going to be talking about some CPL teams, some CPL news. And also getting their thoughts on what I mentioned there about having two berths direct now into the CONCACAF Champions League. We'll be back with some of that after this. Hey, I am Axel Schuster, and I'm listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, since we've had some audio from Whitecaps CEO and General Manager Axel Schuster, I thought I'd play a little bit of music from one of my favourite German bands. They've been around since 2010. They're a metalcore electronic band from Kastrop Roxel in Germany. They're called Eskimo Callboy, and that was their new single, We Got The Moves. Certainly been a lot of moves in the, the whole North American football landscape this week. We talked about it there with CONCACAF's announcement of the new revamped Leagues Cup and the new revamped CONCACAF Champions League. As I mentioned, there's going to be two CPL teams getting automatic berths now into the first round of the tournament. No longer will the winner have to go through the CONCACAF League stage to try and get into that tournament. So, I mean, that's, that's very exciting. And I'm going to play some audio in this part from two of the head coaches from the Canadian Premier League, Pacific FC's Pamadou Ka and Forge FC's Bobby Smyrniotis, just chatting about the fact that they're going to have a lot more eyes on them now and what it kind of means to the Canadian Premier League. But as well as that, I'm also talking to them about another news story that, that broke on Wednesday. And for me, in the short term, this is even bigger because... For us in Western Canada, it's great. One soccer, big announcement on Wednesday morning. The channel will now be available on TELUS for subscribers here in Western Canada. And until the end of the year, it's free. We don't know what's going to be happening after that. I would guess it's probably going to be like a Sportsnet world package where you're you're still paying your monthly fee to TELUS for it, unless they kind of bundle it together as some kind of sports package. But, I mean, it's fantastic stuff, Zach. You've got one soccer now on a much wider audience. No longer can folk say, oh, I'd love to watch the Canadian Premier League, but I don't want to pay any money to, to watch it. All these games are now free for everyone to watch. You've got the Canadian national team games on it. You've got the other shows that they do. It's going to have a lot more eyeballs on the league, on the teams, on the players. Hopefully that is then going to lead to more fans in attendance at the games, players seeing the quality of the league and wanting to come and play in the league. It, it's massive. It is, but it's, it is only, I mean, you have to have TELUS to get it, right? Yes. But yeah, yeah. For, it's only on TELUS. They are hoping that the other ones will pick it up. Shaw might. It's all, I think you've got Bell and Rogers. So this is TELUS's big play to kind of get into the sporting market because it was hailed as being the first linear sports channel that was launched in Canada for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, it's a, a positive thing. I just I just brought that up because I, I know not everyone listening to this will have, will have TELUS or yeah. will be wanting or willing to make the change to TELUS solely to access... It is a very good it. service, though. I, I genuinely can't speak well enough about it it's, i've had no issues with them at all i've been with them now but, for about six seven years but the thing is you don't need to make the switch to tell us to get this you actually just have to get uh communicate with shaw there's a uh if if shaw yeah, sees tell a them lot of a people demand. shaw if, if shaw sees there's a lot of people calling in and asking for this channel to be added uh it does get added it has happened in the past and obviously tell us is putting on it because they're they're hoping that some people will make the switch over in order to get this channel, if Shaw doesn't really do anything, so it is a, a ploy on their part. But it's it's a chance for Telus to get, I mean, um, people to get it on a number of networks if they need to, or or cable providers. Yeah, and I mean, it, 
when, when Zach and me were over on the island, we were having a few kind of chats with people just about various things. And someone mentioned to us, oh, there's going to be some big changes coming up with One Soccer. This is clearly what that that change was that, that they were talking about. I, I think it's great. And the reason that I love it so much is now I can record games and just watch it whenever. If I've missed the start of a game and I've got it recorded, I don't have to wait a couple of hours for it to come up on demand. I can pause games. I can rewind games now. The important thing is you've got to market this league and you've got to let people know how good and how entertaining this league is. As great as Pacific's win was over the Whitecaps and everyone that saw it was really enthused by it and talking about how good Pacific were, the number of people that will have seen that is really small. The number of people that will have seen Canada's World Cup qualifiers up until the last little bit is going to have been small. So this definitely has the potential to have more eyeballs on it. Now, we don't know that's definitely going to generate more people watching, but in theory it could. So... I had some chats this week just to, to ask about it. So I'm going to play you first, Pamaduka, Pacific FC head coach, just getting his thoughts on that TELUS one soccer deal and also just what it kind of means to the league to have kind of that recognition now by having automatic berths into the CONCACAF Champions League from 2024. Here's Pamaduka. I wanted to just ask you something on a slightly different subject. Now, Wednesday's game and all the games on Wednesday, it was the first games that were on TV under this new deal that the the league's done with TELUS. Obviously, these games at the weekend are going to be the first league games and the first chance that a lot of people that maybe haven't seen the league before are now going to be watching the league. What do you feel this this deal is going to mean to the league and to the players and, and having more eyeballs now on the league? Huge, massive, 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 because our job is to grow the league. The players want to grow the league, right? So together with the clubs, this is a huge deal. And it's massive for Canada. It has not been done before. So when you look at that, that means the, the global goal is growing in Canada. So that means people are taking more interest to it, which is needed. Because, like I said, it is very important. I don't think fully a lot of people on the and grasp that Canada has its own league. I don't think many people see that because of it's never been done before. Uh, they had a little bit the uh, CSL, which was not uh, which was not very good. But we have something that is will be everlasting for generations and generations to come. Yes, it is our third year we build it. Right, but I think the more people actually take interest, they do take interest of the global game. But let's take interest of building also the CPL, which is our own domestic league, so that we can see the next uh, Afonso Davies, the next Jonathan Davies, the, the next uh, Atiba Hutchins coming up, and we've seen it. Right, uh, two years of the league. Let's be honest, is spent on the COVID. And then we're going into the Canadian Championship and two of the CPLs are final, are semi-finalists. That's huge. That has never happened in the, in, like in the Canadian Cup. It's like it's never happened. So this is a momentum that is showing the growth of the league, is showing the growth of clubs that want to be part of something which is developing the youth of Canadian football. 
which I think a lot of people have been very pessimist of, right? Because um, they, they believe, oh, you know, you cannot develop like this. And we've looked at MLS rather than focusing on, okay, what can we do to drive it here? And I think there's a whole growth that can be done in Canada, but we have to do it together, right? We need also the help of the CSA to truly understand that this, this is a big help. The CSA must understand that this is a league where it's driving a growth in the league. How can we play our part so that this league can serve for the next generation of future Canadian soccer players? It's not to fight with the CPL or try to divide. It's how do we come together and create something that both the uh, CSA can benefit and the CPL can benefit. And this is driving players to get better and better so that eventually they can go compete uh, in the CONCACAFs, uh, U-tournaments, or go to World Cups. Because ultimately, that's the goal. Why you play football, so that you can deliver it also to export players. Because you look at the last two latest uh, Canadian export, they delivered maybe $60 million. Afonso Davis and Jonathan David, it's not a coincidence. And last year, uh, I think, is the first time in history where Canadian players around the world collected maybe 10 uh, league cups and 19, uh, no, sorry, uh, yeah, 10 leagues medals and 19 cup medals. But who's talking about it? The women's game. They won the goal. Who's talking about it? So the CSA also must play a part to drive this up. You won a gold medalist, right? What are we doing? It is huge gold medalist. Okay, it's the women's side. It's huge. US tied, uh, we tied US 1-1 on the men's side. Could have won the game, but unfortunate. But that's it. Be proud. Let's drive the league. Well, yeah, I mean, th th this should get more folk watching. It should get more media coverage. And hopefully that then obviously translates to, to more fans through, through the door. Just kind of following on tying in with that. I, I know it's two years away. I know you're somebody that likes to like look at game after game, but the announcement on Tuesday now that two Canadian Premier League clubs are going to go straight into the CONCACAF Champions League from 2024 is also huge. It kind of shows that the league's getting a lot more respect and it's maybe it, it's maybe going to now be put on a more worldwide stage. No, it's massive. And, and, and you know, some of the things that I always laugh about is like... Um, it's like people always will look at the league and say, ah, but yeah, you know, the quality is not there or anything like that. I'm like, guys, yeah, it don't matter. It's a league. All right? Yes, obviously, it's a young league. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a league of three years. But once you step on the pitch, the games remain the same. Whether you're playing in MLS, whether you're playing CPL, whether anywhere you're playing around the corner, the games remain the same. So for us to get two births, it's massive. It's showing that everything that the league is doing, clubs are doing to showcase Canada. But with that also, we do need help from the CSA. We do also need help from the media coverage, the ones like yourself to keep pushing, driving this league, because the more we talk about it, the more awareness people will get and the more interest is gone, that people will gather around it and drive it. That's what MLS has been doing for 25 years. The only thing that MLS have done is they've used uh, global players to drive that, right? But we, can, we do have global ambassadors. 
Afonso Davis is a global ambassador, can be for the CPL. Let's utilize it. Let's speak to Atiba Hodgson, who never got the opportunity to play in his own league. Right? They didn't play to on his level. So ask him how that will mean to be playing in his own league, in your own country, where you get a little bit famous and therefore move away. That's what mostly what everywhere do. When you look at everybody, look at Brazil. You had to perform in Brazil to be able to go away. So if we want the European teams, which are getting curious about Canada, because Afonso Davis went to Bayern Munich, all of a sudden everybody opened their eyes. Oh, there's actually talents in Canada. Has always been. But there's never been an open door for these people to showcase. It's never been. So why you have that with this league, we have to push that. As club, one of our biggest job is to continue the development of the youth. Right? And the development of the youth is when you look at it, if we can get them at 15, 16 to develop, that says a lot because the growth of North American football is different to Europe. Some of these players in Europe that are 15, 16 are mature to play in a professional environment. Some of the players in North America, they're mature at the 23, 24. That's the expectation. No, we got to go younger. Right? <clears throat> so that's going to be different. So the growth is important and therefore, to showcase in the CONCACAF region that we do deserve to have those uh, two places uh, in the in the CONCACAF. And with the showing of Forge as well, with all the respect, nobody speaks about what Forge is doing. They've been doing it for three years. Right? I, 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 I compete against Bobby, but for me, that is huge. This is huge. But who's talking about it? For the past three years, they've been representing the CPL. Who's talking about it? So Pamadou Kadir feels that it's massive both these announcements for the league. I'm never failed to be impressed by Pa's knowledge of Canadian soccer and like who's done things in the past and what players have done that where and what teams have done that in lower leagues and stuff. He has knowledge of the game here. It's so impressive. He's not just a guy that's coming to a coaching job and is just focused on what it's got on hand. He's a lover of the game. And... He, he said a couple of things there, not for the first time in the last week, basically saying Canada soccer needs to promote the game here far better than they are doing. And they need to get more media involvement and the media need to promote the game here more and the media need to promote the league here more. And I've spoken about it before, the number of calls that I've been on and there, there's just been a couple of people on the calls and... It's frustrating because it's such a good league and the quality's there and the enthusiasm's there and it's it's done the country proud and it's still growing. It's not perfect, but by sure, and it, it certainly needs a, a lot more people paying attention to it. So hopefully this will do that. It will mean, of course, the end to the, the Canadian Premier League winners taking part in the CONCACAF League. Forge FC, this is their third year competing in that just now. They're in a, a battle with Panamanian side Independiente at the moment. Second leg of that is on Tuesday. It's a, I think it's a three o'clock in the afternoon, three or four o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time kickoff. But that game is going to be live on One Soccer. And if you've got Telus, you can now watch it on that or record it and watch it when you get home later. Delicately poised at nil nil just now. First game, first leg was played in Hamilton. So Forge. They've done well away from home, just need to get that away goal. 
as much as Bobby Smyrniotis has enjoyed this experience and the, these adventures, getting these berths in the, the CONCACAF Champions League proper now is very exciting to him. It'd be ironic now if they get these berths and, and Forge isn't one of the teams that, that gets the, the first two spots. But I did ask what Bobby's thoughts were on that and also his thoughts as well on the TELUS and one soccer deal. Here's what he had to tell me. Hi, Bobby. Morning to you, or I guess afternoon to you out, out there. Um, I just wanted to change the subject a little bit for you and ask about the, the deal that was announced this week with One Soccer being on TELUS TV, which I know mostly affects like Western Canada. I don't know how much TELUS is available to you guys out there, but it's going to obviously have a lot more eyeballs on the league and the games on Wednesday were shown. I know a lot of folk watch those. There's going to be people watching your game against Pacific for the first time maybe seeing Canadian Premier League games at all. What do you feel this deal does to the league and how important is it to get the league out to the wider general public? Yeah, I think what we do know is uh, for those involved in the league, teams, players, coaches, uh, media that's following the league, we all know how good of a success story it's been uh, on many levels. Um, what we need, though, is uh, we need that broader audience. Um, to get out there, uh, to get a little bit more mainstream into more houses. Uh, so I think this is the first step in doing that um, because we all know that the product has been fantastic from within. But I think, uh, like you said, now getting into more households, that increases the reach of our product. And in the end, that's what we need for this game to grow uh, beyond what we're doing today, You know, whether that's from sponsorships, uh, marketing and different things that will allow the league to grow, allow the teams uh, in their infrastructure to grow. Um, from from all ends of, of what we're doing. And I think that's the biggest thing you get out of this because, you know, One Soccer has done a, uh, and is doing a great job uh, for all those uh, following and the broadcasts and everything. It's, it's top notch. Uh, and, you know, that's the one thing I get from a lot of my colleagues around the world when they're tuning into games and seeing things. The one thing they've been impressed about from, from the first year for a first year league and, and that's been growing is, is just the product, the product of play, but also the product of, of the broadcast that they're watching. Um, because you know sometimes that's that's the biggest trick in making sure that your that your product is looking uh, like a something that's coming on the global scene. So I think this just increases that, you know. And I think you know if it's happening in Western Canada, it's great. A few more people to watch uh, the two-time champions out on the West Coast. Um, but other than that, you know, we hope that that starts sweeping across the country. And you know, once that starts happening with the success of this league, the success of our national team. I think that allows the sport to grow. And that's what we're all uh, here for. We want to win games. We want to do things for a person like me, who's, you know, now been coaching um, for the last 20 years um, in this uh, in this country, working with young players, working through the different ranks. It's it's what we want to see. It's what we've uh, dreamed about from, uh, from 20 years ago, the growth of this game. And now being part of it, I think, is special. And the more you're able to be uh, visible, uh, the better it is. Kind of tied in with that then, Obviously, the big announcement on Tuesday is still a couple of years away, but the fact that two Canadian Premier League teams are going to go straight now into the first round of the, the Champions League. And as much as I'm sure you've enjoyed CONCACAF League getting into the Champions League proper, it's it's a game changer for the league and it's going to put the league on kind of level terms with so many of these other leagues now. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, two things uh, to look at there. You know, one, it's it's you look at the representation from across CONCACAF in CONCACAF League right now. You look like a country like Panama, and I think there's three teams uh, in there. Um, you know, you go to Honduras, there are three teams, and and you're seeing all these teams, and and you look at you know 
you know, the relative uh, little success we've had in CONCACAF League and you say, okay, this is somewhere where, where we compete and it's, it's been fantastic. It's been fantastic for the exposure of our club, our league and, and the various press we get the, in the region. And we know that will, uh, will continue to grow. To get a second team and hopefully down the road, you know, maybe even, uh, even more and how that comes about, that'll be the league. I think it's, it's massive. You know, we look at world football and, uh, you know, everyone will watch uh, Serie A, the Premiership uh, on the weekend, but everyone wants to watch Champions League on Wednesdays. Uh, everybody. That's the one thing we know. You know, every player picks their next transfer or where they're going to go based on uh, continental football. Um, so I think that's part of the culture that will be a lot, that we can grow in this country by also having more participation in those games. Uh, you know, will it be more challenging uh, two years down the road? Uh, I think so, you know, because I thoroughly am enjoying the the three years we're competing in CONCACAF because these games, uh, there's no easy game. They're all tough and they all bring a different uh, element of uh, surprise, uh, different element of, of challenge. So I think in one way, I'm going to miss those games because I don't know if we're going to get those uh, Central American clubs, uh, but then they're going to go into a bigger basket. And I think going along with what you talked about before with the deal with TELUS, this is about more visibility and this is about growing the league. And I think it, you know, it uh, puts everything much quicker than everyone probably expected. So Bobby Smirney, Otis there, just chatting about the TELUS deal with One Soccer and also the CONCACAF Champions League changes. It's an exciting time for, for Canadian football. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. The Canadian Premier League coming to the end of the season. The playoffs are looming. Most teams just have about nine games to play. And we're going to continue our CPL chat because there's been a big coaching change, and we're going to be back chatting about that after this. Hey, I'm Brett Levi's, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of this week's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our former Artist of the Month here at AFTN. That was last month's Artist of the Month from Sacramento, California, Destroy Boys. We've been playing a few of their songs from the new album that's coming out on October 8th, Open Mouth, Open Heart. That's the latest one that's been released. It's called Escape. And they're going on a a tour later on this year. It's a a national tour, not coming up to Canada just now because of the the COVID restrictions and stuff. But we want to wish lead singer Alexia Roditis all the best. She's taking some time out just for some mental health issues. So 
she said it had kind of been something she'd been struggling with for a while. COVID kind of kind of exacerbated it a little bit. So she's taking some time off, but we'll be back soon. So we wish her all the very best. But back to the football chat now, and we're we're keeping the Canadian Premier League theme now, because there's been a coaching change in the Canadian Premier League. Only the third one in the history of the league. We had Michael Silberbauer that was out at Pacific FC after less than one season in charge. Jeff Paulus stepped down from FC Edmonton at the end of last season. Alan Koch took over there. And now, before this season out, and I think this was one that caught a lot of people by surprise. A lot of bets were lost because everybody already had money on Mr. Yeah, I thought Mr. would have been the, the next one to go. But Rob Gale departing as Valor head coach and general manager with Philip DeSantis taking over. What did you make of that one, Zach? I, th- I thought it was interesting. Uh, obviously, Valor did very well in hosting the the return to play for the year for for the CPL, and they, they needed to take advantage of that, and they did. And then since then, things have not gone uh, really, really well for for Rob and his side. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Tommy Wielden and a couple of the calls I've been on has been, he's made sure to mention, yeah, Valor took full advantage of the home field advantage they had to start the season. So he's had that little dig in the whole time, but they've, they've dropped like a stone since then. Yeah. Which is, which is really un- unfortunate. It's, it's one of those interesting things too, because I mean, first off, let me say, I appreciate Robin Gale and I appreciate his contributions to Canadian football. He's been involved for many years at, you know, various age levels with the Canadian program and stuff. And he's one of these people who's yeah made significant contributions, whether the results were always there or, or whatever that's, you know, people can debate that and talk about the details of that, but he's made a contribution. And so I'm, I'm thankful to him for that. Um, it is one of these situations, which we've seen with Paulus, uh, we didn't see with Silver Bauer, but down the road we could see with a, a Hart and a Brennan and a, a, a Tommy, I guess as well. Is this most of the CPL coaches are like highly connected in their communities? Yes. And it's like what happens to them when they're done? Because like I, I don't see I don't see Rob Gale. Let's just let's just hypothesize. I don't see Rob Gale moving his family to Ottawa to take over from Mista, right? When Mista gets eventually gets hope, presumably gets sacked at some point, um, I started to turn things around after all my speculation that oh, he was I, going I to go and MDS was going to walk in there. No, but just, he, could he could he move to Saskatchewan? To take oh, over oh of course, yes, yes. That, 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 that's much closer. But like, you know what I mean? I don't see him like uprooting his family for for no. for, for even either of those really. Maybe maybe Saskatoon is is more of an option, but or more realistic. Or an easier thing to live that distance away from your family. It just—it's interesting to see what happens to him. Like we've seen with Paulus, right? He's, he's gotten involved in like local stuff again, is my kind of understanding. And I, I just so I just feel for I feel for him in that sense because I don't yeah. know what's what's next for him. Jeff's involved with Edmonton Scottish. She's a team right. that's got ambitious plans, and they they were trying to get into the Canadian National League that didn't seem to take off and and stuff and. Played well, a couple the, of friendlies against the, the Whitecaps under 23s in the summer. Yeah, it didn't take off, meaning it, it's not sanctioned by the CSA. So yes, it not can't yet, be an yeah. actual league in, in the country without that. Um, it can be a rogue thing if it wants, and it might end up being that one day. But 
No, so yeah, so he's gone there. It's going to be interesting what happens to, to Rob Gale and what path he chooses mm. to take. Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe, maybe I, maybe he's going to move his whole family and you know go somewhere and do do something else. But uh, I just I feel for him in that sense. Uh, on the other side, it's nice news for the DeSantos family and yeah. their their progression in in the world of Canadian football. And I'm excited for Phil, and I'm excited to see what he does. I think it's really encouraging to have for him to have that dual role. Um, and, yes, yeah. especially with this being his first appointment as a head coach. Like he's been a head coach at youth level, but in the in the senior game, this is his first appointment. So not only is he head coach, he's general manager as well. Yeah, that's a lot to take on. He's inheriting a squad he can't do anything with for this season. I it just seems strange timing. And I I thought Rob Gale deserved to see the season out. I believe his contract was up at the end of the year. So yeah. maybe, we, we, I mean, we don't know what the discussions were, were like there. I agree with you on that too. Like, I, I think I think for what he's done for football and I think his involvement in the community, he deserved that at least. Yeah. Now, Steve, when we spoke to, to Mark at some point last year, he said that he felt that Philip was the better coach from the DeSantis brothers and that he was one of the the best Canadian coaches, young Canadian coaches around at the moment and that sooner rather than later, he should take on his own thing, like fly with his own wings. So he's now getting the chance to do that. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's definitely um, been fired from less head coaching jobs than Mark, so he's got him there. Uh, but... Uh, I, I think it's a good opportunity for them. I think that maybe they just saw, you're probably right, the contract, maybe the contract negotiating didn't go well. Maybe there wasn't a good fit in Winnipeg with whoever was running it up top. And they saw an opportunity to bring Philip DeSantos that they liked. And maybe they, they've liked him from before or something like that. Maybe there's some connection from before. He is and very they, highly thought of in, in yeah. Canadian coaching circles. So so they saw an opportunity there. They didn't want to lose him to another team that maybe was doing something in the offseason, so they, they bounced on it. Um, and I think he does have um, – he probably has a little bit – like I, I see him as being more connected to the players um, because the head coach rarely has that. So maybe he's he's got that still connection to, co- uh, to the players and maybe he can bring that in. Um, I – I don't watch them that regularly. I saw them play against York United. They didn't look too bad. Um, but obviously, it's very early uh, to see you know what the results are going to be. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough for Philip because this got announced on Thursday and he only... It all moved very quickly, he said. And he only got a chance to speak to the players briefly that morning. So he hasn't even really had much time to work with them. And the games are coming thick and fast because he's got another yeah. game against Pacific of all teams on, on but Wednesday. This is, this is more of a, I think, um, uh, for the long term, obviously. Yeah, And, and uh, this The rest of this season is more like an extended preseason for next year. Yeah, if they can uh, get in the top four, that's the cherry on top of the cake, but it, it's I, I, about, I, I think, evaluating the players and stuff. Uh, I don't see that happening. I, I think but, that's but, 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 see, but that's got to be the only reason they did this. Because why, yeah. why Why would you do it now if that's the only reason to do it now? Is to try and get an uptick to claim that fourth spot. That seems like the, the no, only Well, I think I, that, that might be one of, the, one of the reasons why, but I think they're, in, I think if Rob Gale had multiple years on his contract, I don't think see this happening then. Like if mm. they probably wouldn't have fired him if there's more. It's only because his contract was up that they saw an opportunity to bring another coach in. But that's another thing which is kind of maybe a little bit awkward with it, this being Valor because we know they're owned by a 
like a community entity that like a you know it's different type ownership than other owners so you don't think they'd want to pay out anything and i think it's also going to be on public record what they do pay out because of how their books all right i i'm delighted for phil i getting this opportunity and obviously great for us another canadian premier league head coach that we've got a good relationship with myself and him were meant to be going for coffee and then work got in the way and i never made my coffee date with him so might have to wait a little bit for that now in the meantime instead we'll bring you a little bit of audio from his introductory press conference uh some questions from myself and some others that that were on the call as well let's see what he had to say look it was very quick uh i think it was a five, six day process. Um, as you know, I was sitting back home in Vancouver with, with the plans to just see how things would go in, in the off season and take some time to be with my family. Uh, and, um, and we, we received uh, the phone call with this opportunity uh, sometime last week. And you know what, it was one of those where there's 11 professional teams uh, in reality in Canada and, you know, just being home, just being in the Canadian market, uh, was something that for me, for my family felt well, I'm going to start by saying that it's, uh, it was a bittersweet, uh, moment for me because I knew that it would come with, uh, someone else, uh, being in a situation that's more, more difficult and more complex. And, but at the same time, I realized at, uh, on that day that um, had it been me or, or someone else when an organization in, is set on making a, a change, um, you, you, you have to understand that it's part of, of, of the process and, and it's part of the game. And I tried to keep that to the side and, and think about what was best for, uh, for, for me professionally the club felt it was the best thing for them as well. Um, and, and, and everything happened really quick. I'm still in a process of trying to grasp things and uh, meeting with the staff, meeting with people, uh, getting a good feel about everything. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's one of those that in sports, they, they happen quick and you have to be ready to just embrace them and, and, and jump on, on these challenges. Don't expect you to be able to fully speak for Wade and the decision from uh, up top, but I'm assuming that with you coming in mid-season as opposed to perhaps waiting for this change in the off-season, that the expectation still is for this club to get into the the top four, make the playoffs, and and be more competitive. So if you could just um, tell me if I'm right or wrong there and why you think that this side has it in them injuries um, being considered to make that final push. Look, I, I, I think it's, uh, you're right. When it comes to that, there's still a big belief that, uh, that uh, the playoff is, is something tangible. It's something that, that we want. Uh, it starts on Sunday. And, um, uh, and again, it's hard for me to judge what was before. I don't want to get into these things and these discussions. No, uh, those are things that you assess as you're here. And, and uh, but the, the mandate is to is to still get above that line. And then we know that once you're in a playoff uh, system and structure, it's game on when you when you arrive to um, to the playoff. Now, we know that we're in a good position. Uh, 
Um, I don't think that that was the question uh, because the team's in a, a position where, uh, in reality, they have a, a game in. We have a game in hand, and and we 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 play York this weekend. So it's it's a position where everything is on us to make it. Now I don't think it's fair for me to step in just seeing it in a short term. I think that I need to look at the bigger picture. So it's going to be. It's going to be about how does the team progress? Uh, where's the next gear? Where can I bring something different that's going to trigger maybe certain behaviors that the team needs? So uh, I think it's all part of the assessment to be made. I've watched a lot of the games, especially after the talks, and uh, we will do the work with the staff. We'll, we're here to maximize the potential of the players, and, and I think that's our job as a coach. This is the obviously the first senior job where you've been the head coach. You're also taking on the GM role. How much did having that full authority play into you wanting to to take this role on just now? It was clear in my head that I wanted the next move. I wanted to to have this opportunity. There were discussions with uh, with um, uh, clubs from other leagues that um, in the past that made me realize that maybe. You know, in the near future, it was time for me to take that next step. It had nothing to do with the coach GM. No, I'm a coach. I like to coach. I understand the general manager uh, side of the job. I think a lot of times in in uh, leagues that operate with smaller structures, very often it's going to come, the head coaching job will come with the GM job. So I'm okay with that. It's familiar uh, ground for me. Uh, because I've been around that type of those type of structures, uh, but it was really getting to the next step. I think that, like I said, with eight pro uh, eight pro teams in the CPL and three in the MLS, it's a market where it, it, it's interesting, but it's very hard and competitive to get in. So I felt this was the time for me, and um, and I I believe that. I'm I'm a better person at 43 for this job, more prepared, uh, more experience. Um, I've seen more, not only in the job, but also in my management of people and how to 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 go and get the maximum out of, of individuals. What is your kind of philosophy? What does a, a Phil DeSantos team look like? And, and what excites you about this group of players? Now you've watched quite a few of them this week. I, I was talking to the staff, Christian, about that. And um, look, I, I think that there's a utopia as a coach. You go, you go in with an idea of I want to be this exciting team that plays a football in the front foot as the ball. That for me is a cliche. Every team wants to do that. Every coach wants to have that. I think that the game has evolved in a way where you need to prepare your team to deal with the high moments and low moments of the game. So if you just step in and you prepare your team to be that front foot team and uh, high pressing team that, that are active on the counter press, that has the ball, that's, that's good. But there's moments in the game that you will be you will be lower. The opposition will have the edge on you. And now you need to know how to defend in that situation. You need to know how to exploit spaces in that situation. I want a team that understands the fluidity of the game, 
that yes, wants to take the initiative of, of, of the game, wants to be on the ball, uh, that wants to be aggressive on and off the ball. But uh, first and foremost, a team that's disciplined, that understands the moment they're in, uh, what to exploit, um, how to counter the opposition, a team that has energy. Uh, I, I remember talking to, to someone recently, and you guys, you guys are familiar with the Twilight Saga, no? Uh, when they, when you look at at someone and 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 you see the vein, the vein pumping and uh, the the energy of, of of wanting something and 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 really uh, feeling the person and that's what I I want to see in the players playing with energy with with those those, those type of of behaviors that are that are aggressive that are um, hard to beat to 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 play against that. Uh, that every every day you uh, you know that if you play Valor, you're up for a game, for a fight. And that's what I want us to be about. Philip DeSantis there just chatting about his new role. And I mean, the playoffs is still what he's pushing for. He feels that the team can make it. It looked like they were getting off to a dream start today. They went 1-0 up in the 27th minute, away to York United. Brett Levi's with the goal, but York came back in the second half with a 2-1 win. Looking at how the table stands just now, Pacific's out on top, 36 points from 20 games, Cavalry second, 32 from 19, Forge 31 from 18, York now 29 from 20. Big gap now to Halifax Wanderers, four points in fifth, but they do have a game in hand. Valor, 19, 23 points, Edmonton, 18 Ottawa 17. So I think Edmonton and Ottawa you can pr- pretty much write yeah. off now. They're the Valor's t- just hanging on right now. Yeah, those two teams are like the Texas teams. MLS Western Conference. But I mean, Halifax win their game in hand. They're just a point off the fourth and final place. Valor win their game in hand. They're just three points off yeah, the fourth and final still, place. I think in this case, I think the top three teams, I think they're playing for one spot, basically. I yeah. think Forge and Calvary and Pacific are strong enough hopefully pacific is able to hold on because they do have a lot of young guys that that could potentially slip the players are going to be interesting because it's two single leg ties so home field advantage is huge so you want to be first or second and if you can be first you've got the opportunity of hosting the championship game as well and the thing is selfishly we want to be pacific so we can get to it We'll see how all this plays out. We wish Philip DeSantis all the very best. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does out on his own, branching out as a head coach, what kind of style of football he's going to play, what players he'll bring in next year, everything like that as well. I'm hoping to catch up with a chat with him for maybe the next show or or the week after, so we'll get that sorted out soon. And talking about Pacific FC, just to, to kind of round this little bit off and their fixtures, there's one very big fixture that still has to get scheduled. Despite Canada Soccer saying that Friday they would announce the semi-final draw, the home teams and the dates for the the Canadian Championship, nothing has been decided yet. And from what I've been told, it's because the two MLS teams in the semis, Montreal and TFC, they can't come to an agreement about the dates, not so much about who's hosting, but it looks like Canada Soccer were looking to be playing the games during the Thanksgiving weekend, which is the international break. Montreal and TFC not happy about that because their players were, or they will be missing players for international duty. 
And I get that. That's understandable. You don't want to devalue the, the cup competition by having that. So they're pushing for dates that's not ideal for the CPL team. So there's a lot of kind of posturing going forward. So nothing has been decided yet. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Pacific can get to host TFC. It's going to be a coin toss unless TFC can agree that it gets played to Pacific. I want to just play a little bit of audio. We've played this on our extra podcast that we brought out midweek. The quality wasn't great because something happened to my mic. So I've got better audio quality for it now. Here's Pamadou Carr just chatting about how he feels Pacific FC deserve to host this semi-final against TFC. I I know the game's just finished and it might be a a little bit hard to answer this just now, but do you know when the the arrangements will be made for the the semi-final and how hard will you guys be pushing to have another electric night at, at Starlight Stadium? If I'm Canada Soccer, I will definitely let the game be played in uh, in Starlight Stadium because I think for us as a CPL community, we deserve that. We've proven it. We have two teams that are in the semifinals against two teams that are from the MLS. I think we truly deserve to have this game played at the Starlight Stadium. And I think just for the atmosphere-wise, but also what it will mean to... Uh, to the soccer in Canada, we do deserve to have this game at home because, as we saw today, uh, the BMO Stadium was not even full, right? And if we want to promote uh, Canadian soccer, we need to have the stadium full. So, uh, hopefully, we hope that they realize that and give us this game at home. And I think we truly deserve it. So, Pamaduka there just chatting about why he feels Pacific deserve to, to get that, and some folks said it's a bit entitled him saying that, but basically, what he's trying to say is. If you want to grow the game in Canada, how do you do that? Do you have it at a near-empty BMO field? Or do you have a packed Starlight Stadium, a packed Forge FC at home to Montreal? Get the fans in, get them excited. That is the way to, to grow the game here, I feel. Yeah, but the problem is, is if it's a draw, it's a draw. You can see it all that all you want. But if oh, it's yeah. Draw, if it, if, if it's a fair draw... draw yeah, as long as the draw is legitimate, then there's nothing really that can be done about it. No. Unless he's unless he's insinuating it's not a, a fair draw and it's, it's already pre pre planned. It'll probably be a, a double headed coin. They'll show it to TFC, and then TFC will call tails the way that their season's going. <laughs> yeah, but I mean my, that my, game my... at Starlight would be amazing, Zach. We've got to go over to that. We've got to get Steve over to it this time. Yeah, uh, the if it's a Tuesday or Wednesday, it's going to be a bit tricky for me. But yes, I would love to to try and make it happen. Um, yeah, M- Michael, you and I were talking to different people and heard basically the exact same. Yeah, thing which was interesting. The, the MLS uh, MLS clubs essentially trying to. The, the, I think the word that was told to me was trying to bully the CSA, um, and I think they were a little surprised at some of the personalities and pushback they received. Uh, on the CPL. Yeah. Pamadou Carr's not a guy that's going to easily go away in a situation like this, and neither yeah. is Bobby Smaniotis. No, and and they're not the only ones. So, well, yeah, um, some of the other Forge I, owners I, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, I, I mean, we would like to see these games with this well, the the TFC Pacific game be held at Pacific, obviously, because it gives us a chance to go there, regardless of our personal opinions. Uh, as Steve, I think, just said, this need this needs to be a draw. It needs to yeah, be. Yeah, they, they should show this. It should be whatever whatever the guidelines were that they set out with. They should be that. The dates they were given 
It should be on well, those that's dates. That's the thing as well, because the MLS teams were given these dates before yes. the quarterfinals. So you can't come back as far as I'm they, concerned oh. now and go, oh, well, no. Yeah. They, I mean, so, yeah. Because uh, the, the initial dates, it was meant to be this coming week when the, the brackets were originally drawn. And then TFC's got this game against Cincinnati on Wednesday. So that's out. I believe Montreal's got a free Saturday in October, so they're pushing hard to have the game played then. So I don't know. We'll have to see what happens with that. But well, by the way, sorry, I might have just crossed for Forge and Pacific anyway. Oh yeah, I might have missed it. By the way, but um, it is when is the uh, the twenty twenty Voyagers Cup going to be completed? If that ever gets played, I'll be amazed. So it's really not going to happen. <laughs> Maybe Forge will get into the final against TFC and they'll just say, it's a winner-take-all for two. Double or nothing. Yeah. Wow. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Shambolic. Yeah. They'll probably have it as joint winners. That That's happened with the Fife Cup a couple of times during wartime. So, oh, during pandemic time. Yeah, yeah, slightly, slightly similar. But that is it pretty much for the football chat for this show. But we've still got time. There's still time for this week's Wavelength. And it's the final song in Football Violence Awareness Month. It won't be back till March. And you'll be glad to know I stumbled across a new crop of songs for for future Football Violence Awareness Months this week. So this is going to run and run and run. Just like when you chase supporters out of the ground. But this is a song from 2004 from a, a punk and oi band from Nottingham in England. They're called Resistance 77. This is Saturday on the terraces.
Resistance 77 there, Saturday on the Terraces, the end of Football Violence Awareness Month. Just like so much fun on the Terraces has ended these days with All Seater Stadium. I miss those days. I I miss my days going to lower league Scottish football and English non-league just standing on on terracing. But that is it for this week's show as well. Just before we go, any final thoughts, anything you've learned this week, Zach, and where can people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Zachary AM and um, good some some really good CPL chat tonight. And I hope in a week or two, we'll have even more CPL stuff to talk about. Steve? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Whitecaps Beat. And what I've learned is despite it being football awareness month, you should not mention to uh, suggest to beat up away supporters. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. You can also give us a like, subscribe, turn on notifications on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. What I've learned this week is if you're a 60-year-old owner of a football team, you maybe shouldn't play in a CONCACAF league match and then be seen in the locker room handing something out to the opposing team. For for anyone that missed that story, that was uh, in Suriname, Vice President of Suriname, who also currently owns a team called Inter Moengo Tapo, and they were playing a CD Olympia in a CONCACAF leagues match last week. Olympia won 6-0. This 60-year-old played in the midfield for much of the match and was then videoed handing stuff to the Olympia players in their locker room after the game. CONCACAF ruled on Saturday that both clubs have now been disqualified and kicked out of the competition. Uh, the guy involved has been banned for three years from participating in any capacity in CONCACAF competitions and CONCACAF were citing serious breaches of integrity. CONCACAF, got to love it. But that is it for this week's show. We will be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the caps. <laughs> Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
E F. <laughs>